Good morning again, everybody. Uh, My name is Tony Baker, and I am the lead pastor here at Gateway Church. This is our last week um, that we are going to be online only. We're going to regather again uh, next week, the week after, next Sunday after Labor Day. Uh, We are excited to do that again. As you know, we had a few people test positive in our church with COVID, and we just thought to keep everybody safe. We do ask that when you do come next week, that you wear your mask, that you practice social distancing, uh, that you wash your hands and do all those things that we're supposed to be doing in a safe way. Uh, today is week four of a, of a six-week series that we've called Unstoppable, the Kingdom of God in the Book of Acts. And when you are in times of uncertainty, when you are in times where things are unsure or insecure and there is a lot of fear and there's a lot of just stuff going on, it's good for us to go to God's Word and see how God moved through history, see how God used His church and worked in the church in other times in the church's life, in people's life, other times in history when things were difficult. And we find through the book of Acts that the church was this unstoppable force and that God has called all of us to join Him on that mission. So when I think of something being unstoppable, I think of something that is extraordinary. I remember growing up watching Michael Jordan play basketball. I was a basketball player myself. Everyone wanted to be like Mike, but nobody could be like Mike because Michael Jordan was one of a kind. They called him unstoppable. Why? Why did they call him unstoppable? Because he was extraordinary. When it came to basketball, when it came to the game of basketball, he was amazing. He was incredible. He was this force to be reckoned with on the court. People saw it early in his career. And I remember watching many, many... You know, I thought maybe I would share a couple clips of his greatest moments. Watch this. Jay Armstrong, right back. The Bulls can go up 14. Jordan past Petrovich. Wow! (laughs) Oh, yes! Yes, yes. I didn't see that. <laughs> oh. All right, let's Why take a look at this, this baby. Hey, let's take- I, you know, today's generation, Gary, today's generation just don't know what they're missing. Watching Michael Jordan play, some of the stuff he did, some of the stuff he pulled out on the court, it was extraordinary. I mean, today's generation talks about LeBron James, right? He likes to call himself King James, or somebody calls him King James. And there's this big fight, you know, who's the best basketball player? Well, Michael Jordan, of course. But who's the best basketball player of all time? Those of my age would argue that Jordan's the best. But one thing that these two definitely have in common is that they are unstoppable forces because they are extraordinary men on the basketball court. 
One thing seems to be true. When we see something or someone who is truly extraordinary at their skill, at what they do, we think that they're unstoppable. Nothing's going to get in their way. Nothing's going to stop them from achieving their goal. Most of us have never felt unstoppable at anything in our lives because most of us are just ordinary people. There's only one Michael Jordan. There's only one LeBron James. Most of us live just ordinary lives. We were born into ordinary families. We were brought up and raised in pretty ordinary homes by ordinary parents who just went to work every day and worked hard and brought us up. And there's, maybe there's something in our life that you know, maybe we were good at, but we weren't necessarily extraordinary. We all mostly just probably blended in with the rest of the kids on the playground at school. Maybe you were really good at something like drama or sports or education or something. But were you unstoppable? Were you extraordinary? We all have something we might excel at, but most of us just simply don't think of ourselves as extraordinary. To the point we think that we're unstoppable, like Michael Jordan on the basketball floor. Perhaps this is one of the reasons many of us don't necessarily feel that God uses us. Perhaps this is one of the reasons that we don't feel that God can use us. We don't take risks. We don't go out and witness. We don't disciple other people because we just don't feel good at it. We don't feel like the Michael Jordans on the court who could step on with all the confidence in the world knowing he's unstoppable. And it showed. We don't necessarily feel like that in our life. Seriously, when I read the book of Acts, I think, wow. When you read the book of Acts, and you read the stuff that's going on with the apostles and the disciples and the church, and you think, wow, now that's extraordinary. I could never do that, especially under the circumstances that they were facing. I just leave that I'm just going to leave that to the trained professionals. I'm just going to, like pastors or evangelists or church planners or missionaries or people who feel called and people who are trained and people who are educated, I'm just going to leave that to them. Because they're extraordinary when it comes to witnessing, sharing, preaching, telling the story. I mean, they're trained to do so, right? I mean, look at Peter. He hung with Jesus for three years. And John and the other apostles. Look what they are doing. Look what they're saying. Look how the church is exploding in Jerusalem. Could we ever do that? Could, I have, could you ever walk down the road and see a cripple and say, silver and gold have I none? Get up and walk. 
We don't see that happening much today, do we? But here's what I want you to see today in our text. I'm just going to tell you right up front what you're looking for. I'm going to try to explain it. But it's this. In Acts, we see God, we see something about God and about us. We see that His plan to accomplish His mission involves you and me. Ordinary people who don't necessarily feel extraordinary. I don't feel like Peter and John. I don't feel like one of the apostles. But we see in Acts that God is is trying to accomplish his His mission in the world and He's calling you and me to be a part of that. Listen, God chooses to use the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. God wants to use the ordinary, you and me, to accomplish the extraordinary. So let me give you a little background on our text today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, and I'm literally going to stick to one verse. It's an amazing verse. It's so packed. Luke just packs this one verse. And I mean, I can spend the whole sermon here on one verse, and we're going to do that. But before we get there, I want to give you just a little background on what's happening We've been in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4. And in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we see that the church has now exploded upon Jerusalem. There are thousands of people now gathering and meeting and growing. And not only are they exploding and growing, but now they're also beginning to organize. You say, well, what do you mean? by I thought organized church was a bad thing. Well... Everything needs a little organization to it. In chapters 5, 6, and 7, they begin to choose leaders because the people became so great and the need so great that they were always coming to the apostles for needs and for things that they just felt other people could take care of. And so they chose seven leaders from amongst the people to handle the different ministries of the church. And while The apostles focused on preaching and teaching. These seven men, they would minister to the people and try to meet the needs according to how the Spirit led. One of these men was the name of Stephen. Now Stephen, and you may know this, if you don't know this and you're watching, you've never heard these stories, Stephen actually becomes the very first martyr of the Christian faith. The Jerusalem church has exploded. It's grown. There's a lot of, you know, back and forth. Peter and John had been thrown into jail, and then they got let out, and other people, and things are going on. And there's this rising up of turmoil in the Christian world there in Jerusalem. And Stephen stands up one day and enrages the leaders with a sermon that he preaches. They stoned him in the street that day to death, not because he committed a crime or anything, not because he did something evil, but because he simply tried to tell them that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they stoned Peter or or Stephen to death. It is the kind of thing that makes you want to keep your mouth shut. 
I wonder what the rest of the Christians thought when they saw Stephen get stoned for being bold and standing up to the religious leaders. But not these disciples. The stoning of Stephen sets up chapter 8, where we are today. It sparks this very big event in the life of the church. This event for church historians and theologians, we look to this event as kind of the spark that moves the church into the rest of the world. And here we are in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 1a. Right after Stephen is stoned to death, Luke says this, and Saul approved of their killing him. Saul is a man who is a Pharisee and a leader of the law, but Saul becomes a main character of this entire book and in the history of the entire Christian chronicles. Saul becomes a main character. Saul was this lead persecutor. He prosecuted and persecuted the early Jesus followers. It says that he traveled around in and out of houses and he would grab them and arrest them. He would take papers with him that arrest people because they became Jesus followers. But later in chapter 9, and I'm jumping around a little here, but later in chapter 9, Saul has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life. And Saul now becomes, instead of a persecutor of the Jesus followers, he now becomes a Jesus follower, and his name is changed to Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. But for now, Paul is Saul, and he's persecuting the church. Next verse. Next part of the verse. On that day, the day that Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. This doesn't seem right to me. When you first read this, if, if you've been reading the first few chapters of Acts, I mean the church is exploding, the church is growing, the church is organizing, the good things are happening in the church. This is the unstoppable church, remember? Filled with the Holy Spirit, going out into the streets with boldness, and thousands are coming to follow Jesus. And God is doing something incredible here in Jerusalem. You see it in the first few chapters of Acts. Miracles are happening. Thousands coming to Jesus. Now, the church is being persecuted. As a matter of fact, they're taking Christians out into the streets and they're stoning them to death. They're dragging them into the public square, humiliating them. They're falsely accusing them and they're imprisoning them simply because they claim that Jesus came back from the grave. After reading the first six chapters of Acts, you might think this thing is unstoppable, right? This church, this movement powered by the Holy Spirit and bold people of God. How is it ever going to be stopped? The momentum is definitely on God's side and the Jesus followers. Nothing can stop it now, right? If you were one of those Jesus followers in Jerusalem, you might see 
will get a feel for what is happening and scratch your head. Man, things are going so well. Things were looking up. I mean, we had boldness and we had courage and and I didn't mind telling my neighbor about Jesus. But now, things were going well. Things were looking up. Life was good. The Holy Spirit's healing. The Holy Spirit's speaking. The Holy Spirit's moving. We see this incredible movement. Look at the church grow. Thousands were gathering. It's awesome. And then, bam! persecution breaks out and there is nothing that they can do about it but run and run they did listen to me church when life is good and comfortable we tend to play it safe when life is good and comfortable and god is blessing and things are going well we tend to play it safe We tend to risk a little less, give a little less, go out a little less, be a little bit less enthusiastic. Next verse. Still in verse 1. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Did you hear that? All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The church has been pretty much centered in Jerusalem until this happens. The persecution causes the Jesus movement to scatter. It causes the Jesus movement, get this, to move. The word that Luke uses is diasperio, which literally means to scatter seed. That's important. Luke uses a word that gives us this word picture. He wants to paint a picture for us that this persecution, while it may seem bad, this persecution, while you're thinking, why is God allowing this to happen? This persecution, this terrible thing that's happening to these people. But Luke paints a picture with a word that shows us this idea of wind blowing seed in a field. He wants us to see these Jesus followers running for their lives. Yes, but he also wants us to see that they are, because of the persecution, they're like wind-blown seed in a farmer's field. This persecution moved the church from its comfort zone from the experiences that they had had in the past, from all that was happening, it forced them to move out. To where? Notice what he says. They were scattered throughout Judea and Sumeria. Notice Luke uses those two areas. Do you remember somewhere else? Luke mentions Judea and Sumeria. 
Do you notice that this is probably not an accident? Luke is telling a story here. He's wanting us to see how the church became the church, how the church moved and grew, how God used real life events on earth to move his kingdom. Luke is showing us something here that's important to the whole story. You remember where else Luke used those words? Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Done that. Where are they dispersed from? Jerusalem. And look what he says. And in all Judea and Samaria. And so now, eight chapters later, he uses the same Judea and Samaria. He wants you to see that Jesus is using a terrible experience in their life to disperse them. God's on a mission. God's got a plan. His ways are greater than our ways. We don't always understand His mind. You might think, why would God allow such a terrible thing to happen to His people? But God's mission is so much greater than me. God is using the persecution to push His people out. Out into their world for the purpose of spreading the good news about Jesus. Listen, church. King Jesus wants to expand His kingdom. And He allows disruptions and discomfort in our lives if it will move us toward others. He will shake it up if it will move us out into the world. His mission is not my comfort. God's mission on earth is His kingdom on earth. Think about that. His mission is not my comfort on earth, but His kingdom on earth. There's something else important in this verse that we need to look at. It's very important. Luke packs so much into this verse. It's just, I can, I'm spending the whole sermon on this one verse. Look what else he says. All scattered except the apostles. Why not the apostles? I mean, were they not persecuted? Probably We know some of them have already been thrown in jail. Maybe they could handle it better, right? They're stronger than the other Christians. Or perhaps they were better at hiding than the rest of the church. I don't know. Perhaps the people had simply grown complacent and dependent on them. God's plan was never to give His authority and His gift of life that needed to be spread to just simply a few people. He calls every Christian to disciple people. Perhaps the people simply grew complacent and dependent on them. Perhaps they didn't think that they were extraordinary enough to preach to proclaim, to be witnesses. I mean, it's Peter and John after all, right? Who's going to keep up with them? 
Jesus allowed and used a persecution to spread his followers all over the world without their leaders. Why? So the kingdom would grow on earth. God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You don't believe it? Look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered, the ordinary folk, preached the word wherever they went. And I might say, without the preachers, without the apostles, without their leaders, God scattered them to be witnesses. But His promise never let them down. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Spirit went with them. Luke uses a word for preached. And you might think, well, I'm no preacher. That's for you, pastor. He uses a Greek word, euangelizio, which we get our word evangelize from. It literally means to proclaim good news. Now listen, you don't have to be a professional pastor to proclaim good news. All of us are preachers. All of us have been called to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus has done for you. Living in crazy times, aren't we? I heard someone the other day say, if it ain't been shaken, I heard somebody say, if anything can be shaken now, right now, God's a shaking it. <laughs> I've never seen such a shift in our culture, in our world. I've never seen such disturbance in the lives of just everyday ordinary people. I mean, just about everyone, their lives have been disrupted. Things are being shaken. I've never seen such a disturbance in the life of the church. They tell me that within two years, there's going to be a mass exodus of pastors from the church. Some of my friends, I've heard them say, who wants to pastor today? It's difficult. It's hard. I've never seen the church so divided in so many different ways and, and holding on to old ways and people wanting to go to new ways and you're making us wear masks and we shouldn't have to wear masks, and you. everybody needs to wear masks, and there's just so much stuff going on. I've never seen such a disturbance in the life of a church as I've seen today. There are a lot of theories and speculations going around. Now, I'm not here to speak about such things. Jesus might come back today, and Jesus might come back in a thousand years. 
The truth is, every generation of Christian thought that their generation was it. I'm not here to say that this is it. This is the end time. God's coming probably tomorrow. I think we would all love to see Jesus simply break into this mess of a world that we're in and set things right. But can I be honest with you? There's also a part of me that wishes he won't. Not yet. You say, well, pastor, why is that? Because I still have people in my life that they're not ready. They've not made that decision. I still think God's working. I still think God's moving. I still think God's redeeming. I still think God's reconciling. I still think there are people coming to Jesus. And I'm not quite ready. Sure, I want Jesus to come. But I also want Him to wait. Because there's still work to do. And I think that's what Paul was getting at in Thessalonians with the Thessalonian church. Church, there's work to do. We're not to be sitting around looking to the sky and waiting, but we're to be working. We're to be going out and witnessing. We're to be helping Jesus with his mission. But here's what I know from our text today. I don't know what that time looks like. People speculate, people try to interpret and all of that, and they, you know, sometimes come up with things that, you know, you think, oh, well, maybe, but nobody really knows. But here's what I do know. I know that God uses times like this, pandemics, persecutions, disruptions, a time of shaking, not as a sign that things are unraveling, but instead as a time of mobilization of the church. Here in Acts, a great persecution broke out amongst God's people, and they scattered. And you can look at that and see that as a negative thing, but the truth is, it was the greatest thing that could have happened for the church. You and I are here and believe Because that persecution broke out and people scattered from Jerusalem. And the churches were planted and began to grow and grow out and grow out until the gospel was going into all the world. You see, God uses times like this not as a sign of unraveling, but instead as a time of mobilization for the church. God is in the reconciling and redeeming business, and He will call who is listening. He will call those who have their ear to the culture and an ear to the Holy Spirit. He will use them to move out into these uncharted waters and help us bring more people into the kingdom of God. Jesus uses extraordinary times to move ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Look, let's not look at 2020, the pandemic, the disruption as an unraveling 
Instead, let's see this as an opportunity to change, to listen, to lean into, to embrace, to surrender, to go where God is leading us for the purpose of winning people to Jesus, for the purpose of preaching the Word, proclaiming the Word, telling the good news. People need good news right now. Let's see this as an opportunity, not an unraveling. Let's see this as a moving of God to move His church, to do something new in our churches, in our communities, in our families, in our schools, in our government, to do something new. Let us go in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You're not ordinary when you have the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus is going to do extraordinary things through ordinary people in these extraordinary times. Let me pray for you today. Our Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the word and the stories of Luke giving us this window, this snapshot of the church. It's easy, Lord, to look at this persecution as a very negative thing, that, oh, things are getting bad and terrible and worse, but really, Lord, it was the greatest thing. You allowed it, King Jesus. If you were truly king of even the physical world, the king who stood on the boat and calmed the winds and the storm and the waves, if you're truly king, then we have to believe you allowed this persecution for a purpose, to move the church. And in our times, God, in these unprecedented times, may we lean into you and just say, Lord, what are you trying to do in my church? What are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to do in my community? What are you trying to do in my family, in my friendships, in my workplace, in my school? What are you doing here, Lord? How can I help you? Fill me, Lord, with your Spirit that I might be bold to go and proclaim the good news that Jesus saves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go, ordinary people, and be extraordinary in the Holy Spirit. God bless. Take care.